Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I've talked about work a lot. And it's because I've worked. I got my first job when I was like 15. I'm almost 50, so I've worked a lot more than I haven't. So work life and stuff, it's important to me. And it should be important to you because it's uh, about your life as well. Work is a big part of your life. I mean, I once did a weird analysis of like how much time do I spend at home if you exclude sleep and how much time you spend at work and how much time I spend on the train and I mean, your family life, all that other stuff, it takes up an incredible minority of your actual life. But there was an interesting article I saw and it was a toy maker Mattel. So they, we've had a pandemic, which meant a lot of people are working from home. Now, one of the things that companies are struggling with, and this is what they call, they're talking about the great resignation, is that they do not seem to have full control over your life. You'll actually see this a lot at low-end jobs where they seem to think that because you work at a gas station, they have full control over your life in some way. When drug, uh, when companies started introducing drug tests, I thought, like, I don't know if you really realize it's not going to help you. Like, you're going to have a lot of employees who smoke weed. It doesn't negatively impact their work. But again, that's maybe a moral position. Uh, but I, I believe like what you do on your own time is your business. So it's none of the company's business. Uh, and there's been a couple of stories about like people who have OnlyFans and they got they lost their jobs because their company found out they had OnlyFans pages and stuff like that. But what companies want, and I don't even think, again, this is conscious, is full control over every single aspect of your life. They want to control the employee. They want the employee to work really hard for them and have no other interests outside of producing for the company. So making money for the company. If you do that, then the company's happy and you're happy and everyone's happy, which is, of course, never true. So I've always understood that I'm a slave in that I have to go to work every day to make money to support myself and my family. But mentally... I have never given myself over to a company. I feel no real loyalty. And this is, I think, feeds into the great resignation. A lot of people not only feel that way, but are feeling like I can take control over my life again. I can take back my life. And a lot of people are not saying, like, I don't want to do a job that's just a regular job. I want to do a job that feels meaningful. So I don't want to take just any job that comes. There was an interesting thing I read I've, I've now just said I've interesting articles. I've now conflated like five. And it was HR managers complaining that uh, people will ghost them. Now, my experience applying for jobs 
primarily throughout my life was I apply for jobs and heard nothing back. I would apply for jobs and do an interview and then hear nothing back. And the assumption was after a certain amount of time, you did not get the job. Ironically, right out of university, I got a job and I was A, really bad at it, B, did not like it, and C, was clearly not going to last. Like a week after I started, a company that did a technical writing offered me a job, but I had just taken a job and I actually felt like I should stick with the company I said yes to first, even though the other job was far more appealing because I didn't want to be a bad person. That, in retrospect, was a 100% mistake because why was I offering any loyalty to this company that did not offer me any loyalty back? Uh, I did my two, three-month probation period and they you weren't fired, but they weren't giving you a contract. And it was fine because I was bad at, as I said, I was bad at that job. But then I missed out on a good job that maybe I could have been good at because it was probably more in my wheelhouse because of some weird moralities I'd, I'd come to think of that did not exist. So like if that happened now, if I had accepted a job, let's say I lost my job or I quit my job and I started looking for a new job today and I got a, an offer and I accepted it and then I was going to start. And then one weekend I got a better offer. I would just walk out. I'd be like, well, I'm sorry. I've gotten a better offer. I'm going to go. And they would be angry at me, but who cares? I mean, the fact that these people that you're never going to see again are angry at you does not matter. And so HR managers who have been ghosting people for years, because they're like, oh, well, you know, it's not feasible for us to respond to everyone we reject because we reject so many people, even though it could just be a form email. I'm sorry, we're not proceeding with uh, you in our company or something. You know, very polite, but just, you know, factual. They're saying that one of the frustrations is that they're responding to people saying, like, we'd like to interview you or we would like to, to follow up on the interview because some companies do two or three or four interviews. Uh, we would like to go to the next stage or we'd like to offer you a job and they get no response back. The people are ghosting them and this is unacceptable. It's unprofessional. But why is it the irony there? is why is it acceptable for you to ghost people for years and them to ghost you is now a problem. And then they've had people accept jobs and just not show up because probably like my situation, they got a better offer. So the power has shifted that the employee has more maybe options or choices or the morals or the sensibilities of people have changed that companies aren't offering enough for them to show that basic politeness that I actually showed which again, I actually believe was a mistake. Yes, it was good and honorable and kind, but it didn't benefit me and it didn't benefit the company I was working for because I wasn't a good employee. I wasn't a good fit. I would have been a much better fit at the second company. Now, whether I was going to be good at it or not is questionable, but I would have, I guarantee I would have fit in better with their work culture and what they were doing. So that was when I realized like, ah, it's way too late now. But I realized like I should have taken that job. My whole life would have been on a different trajectory, but who knows? That could be good. Again, might have been worse. I feel like all the bad things or all the mistakes that have happened in my life have brought me to this point. It's been worth it because my life is good. I've had some shitty things happen, but most of them I've either learned from or had some sort of improvement as a result. And I think it's a good thing that all these bad things happened to me. I have not actually had anything that was so big that I couldn't deal with it. Yet, I mean, the thing is, something's coming that's going to kill me. And that thing, yes, that's going to be the thing I can't deal with. But regardless, that's not what we're actually talking about. Mattel, uh, because people are working at home, 
and they want to have full control over your life like every major corporation does, they had included in their contracts that employees would be subject to periodic unplanned visits from supervisors during work shifts. Now, if you translate that into English, it means your supervisor, your boss, was going to show up at your house basically unannounced whenever they wanted, which is unacceptable. Like, I would not agree to have, it's the unplanned part, just some dude show up at my place anytime so he can judge whether or not I'm doing my job right. Because you can see they're not actually judging performance or, or your, your productivity. They want to judge whether you're committing all your time, all your thinking, all, all your space to the job, a level of commitment that perhaps they don't realize no one in their right mind is actually going to commit to. So what else we got in here? Uh, It was seasonal customer service home agents. So these are basically people who take customer orders on the phone. So they sit at home, uh, they take, the phone rings, they answer the phone, uh, or maybe it's on their computers and they respond to a a phone call on their computer. So they have to be around their computer. Uh, And they, they respond to orders. Or they take complaints and stuff like that. But they, that's not enough because you're at home. So let's say the phone isn't ringing. You could be doing something else. You could watch TV. You could play on the computer. You could, you know, cook or something like that. Uh, They don't want that. They don't want to be paying you to be doing something that isn't explicitly what they want you to do, that isn't productive for their company. So, As well as unplanned surprise visits from the boss, the job also required selected employees to work in a closed-door area with no distractions, provide their own high-speed internet, and be free from caretaking of others. So again, if you look at those requirements, what do those mean? So a closed-door area with no distractions. So I'm in my room. Are there no distractions? Well, there's my chin-up bar that you can see. There's my bed. That could be a distraction. I'm sitting in front of my computer. So actually, all these things, these three things that I've just mentioned, they could be considered distractions if I'm supposed to be just be taking calls on the phone. So what they want is take the bed out, take the chin-up bar out, take the computer out, and just sit in front of the phone. And if you're not taking a phone call, do nothing, which again, it feels almost like punishment. And remain in this door with zero distractions. And then provide your own high-speed internet, which actually makes me think they're taking the calls over the uh, internet, which makes a lot more sense. But that means they have a computer, which is an inherent distraction. So maybe you can only have one program on the computer. You can't have a browser. I don't know how they take their phone calls, but 90% of it's probably through a browser, actually. But if I'm working for you, why am I providing the high-speed internet? That actually seems unfair. If your job requires high-speed internet, you should be paying for the high-speed internet. So it's like uh, uniforms. So there's some companies require you to wear a uniform and then they tell you to buy the uniform, which seems pretty shitty to me. I actually think if they're not providing with the uniform, it's pretty unfair to demand you wear a uniform. My company has a dress code, but very technically within that code, I could dress any way I want. I could be very flamboyant or very conservative, but... I do have some choice. Uh, I still get a little, because uh, you have to wear a shirt and a tie and stuff. And I think, honestly, if you want people to dress to a certain level, you should be providing a certain amount of income specifically for clothes. 
Now, again, no company does that. No company's ever going to do that. But I think if a company has requirements, they should be required to commit to those requirements to a degree. And the way you do that is financially. But I think it's weird that they're demanding that you have high-speed internet and they're not going to pay for the high-speed internet. And be, the last one is be free from caretaking others, which means you can't have kids in your house. You can't have older people like your parents that you take care of in your house. You can't have a sick or disabled partner that you have to take care of, which sort of means you can't have a family if you're being really honest. Like my kids come home. If my kid comes home and my kid's hurt, I'm going to help my kid. If my wife comes home and she's sick, I'm going to take care of my wife. I mean, I don't actually, again, this is the company saying, we want you on your paid time to value the company more than your family. And I haven't actually seen those arguments, but you've seen, I've seen companies come close to having the argument of like, what's more important to you working for this company or your family? And I don't think they realize what they're saying. Like the only reason I work at this company is to provide for my family. So if I have to make the choice, I'm going to choose to work at a different company for probably the same money to provide for my family. My family is more important than you. And there is a moment where they have lost track of reality. And I always wonder, like these executives who would make these decisions, who would say these things, what would they say if they were put in the same situation? Because some of them would say the company is more important. Uh, These high level executives who like the company has been their whole life or they get millions of dollars. They might feel that way, which is fine. But then they don't realize the people beneath them aren't getting paid the same way with the same incentives and therefore don't have the same sort of strength or passion of feeling about the company. No distractions or background noise. I, for example, pets, children, machinery, music, or talking. So if there's someone else in your house, you can't even talk to them if you're being paid. Dedicated high-speed internet provided by a cable or DSL provider located within the work area. A rough estimate of suitable connectivity for performing your duties as a home agent will be a download speed of no less than 10 megabits per second, uh, upload speed of no less than two. The expense is covered by the employee. They did not spare details on the requirements. The closed door work area, for instance, need to be free from distractions. Well, that's just the bit I just read. Mattel also stressed that the posting that selected employees must be focused on work and not caring for people or pets. That is interesting because Mattel is one of those companies that sells itself as family friendly as if it cares about your family, which it does not. I mean, that's the important thing is to realize that it does not care about families. It does not care about you or anyone else. It only cares about itself and profits. And I think we as people, as humans, as employees need to start thinking about companies in realistic terms. It does not care about me. I am eminently replaceable. And therefore, my commitment to them should be the same as their commitment to me. If I knew my company was going to go to bat for me in some dire situation, I would feel loyalty to them. But I just don't believe they would. I don't believe any company would. Yeah, they're talking about how 46 million Americans were made sick and stayed home because of coronavirus. There are people because of the pandemic are working from home. And you're going to take care of those people if they're in your house. This was taken down in early October. The company said it hired 250 seasonal employees for the role in 2021. So 250 people seem to have agreed with this. Mattel's American Girl Division said it prides itself in providing a supportive environment for employees and ensuring information security for our customers. So what you can see is what they're saying is like, 
supportive to do their work, not supportive in your life or other things. This is another thing to be very careful of when it comes to companies is the language they choose is very specific. Supportive doesn't necessarily mean supporting you and your life and your family. Supportive in this case means supporting your ability to do the work and nothing else. And then ensuring information security for the customers, that's part of that that closed door stuff. Uh, The article does actually point out that background noise, distractions, music. I mean, they're talking about like someone perhaps has never worked in an office. I've said a couple of times, I work in an open concept office, which I think is the worst kind of thing if you're actually trying to make or do something. Like it's okay for the communication periods that everyone has to go through. But when I actually have to sit down and write something or make something or come up with a concept, I have to leave. There are far, far too much noise, far too many distractions. The open concept office, which is a pretty common thing, even cubicles and stuff, you, you, it is very difficult to concentrate. And I get that companies can't provide an office for every employee, but it is a bit ridiculous to expect there to be zero distractions. If you're working at home, well, I'm sorry, what am, I, am I supposed to move my bed out of my bedroom? Am I supposed to move my chin-up bar out of my bedroom? I have my yoga mat down in the corner there as well. Uh, I'm not allowed to do yoga and stretch things out when I get stiff from sitting in the chair all day. So they're saying that these highly invasive surprise home visits were never put into practice. But they maintained some of the other requirements, which is scary because it means they still, people had to, I guess, accept the idea that their boss might show up at their home at any time and judge whether or not they've been doing a good job. It doesn't say how you have to dress at home when working, which would be interesting. That's actually something. So do you have to dress nicely because your supervisor might show up one day or could you do wear what I'm wearing? Like I'm just wearing a t-shirt and jeans right now, uh, maybe a hoodie. Is what, what would be acceptable? That's interesting that that's not in there because I actually think that would be a big point of interest for me. What is acceptable attire for working at home? I had to do meetings I did the classic, I put on a shirt and a tie, but I was wearing sweatpants. And luckily no one actually did the joke, like everyone stand up kind of stuff. But I would have been caught out because there's no way I'm being uncomfortable for no reason. How much joy you're finding in. I, it's so dumb. Yeah. It's weird that after all the years of video games and blowing shit up, blowing shit up is still as satisfying as it is it never gets old it was like the joy kids feel like the first time they ate ice cream and I'm like Mm -hmm. it should have stopped by now but (laughs) what is it with kids and ice cream it's fucking awesome that's what it is but I mean you gotta see this is it we can't throw our our minds back to the first time we do stuff no like gotta imagine you've never tasted ice cream before like what the fuck is this <laughs> it's amazing but kids hold on to that memory until yeah. they become adults oh yeah, and then, yeah then they don't remember yeah but i mean it's like how many things could you like it was one of the trainings I and mean, it was like what what was like the best day of your life or something and then the guy gave a pretty good answer. I mean, it wasn't what I would consider a great day, but for him it was clearly was the best day of his life. And then in my head I was like, I don't have a best day. I have best moments. 
Yeah, because we've been alive so long, right? Yeah. But I also realized, like, the moment is more... Married. Um, <laughs> that actually wasn't one of the examples I used. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I, my wedding was good. I wasn't excited about getting married. It was more for my wife. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. When she came around down the aisle... And oh, no, that was pretty cool. ...towards me, I was just like, yeah. And then the watching my children being born was pretty fucking amazing. I was more terrified than amazed. <laughs> you know, which is also understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've had a lot of like in in ECC in my time, a lot, a lot of new fathers, and they they're like, oh, you know, any advice and stuff. And I'm like, movies have taught you that you're supposed to feel this like inherent initial connection. It's actually very unlikely. Yeah, because the baby wants nothing to do with you. It just wants mom all the time. Yeah, um, and that's fine. And then when the baby comes in, you're gonna get pushed aside. You're gonna be the, in the back of the room, and everyone's gonna talk about the mom and the baby constantly. I didn't actually feel connected in a deep way to my son until I was until he was like two, and he actually wanted to hang out with me. Yeah, and do stuff, and that made a huge difference. And I was like, don't, don't feel bad about that. Like you're going to get ignored a lot. Yeah. And that was, that's a big deal. People, people and like misinterpret that. Not just the getting ignored, like the whole, like not feeling too much about the baby as well. Like I wish someone had told me that on my first, cause it took me a while to, to fully get it. Like yeah. I didn't feel that connection. And I was like, it's just like I can't there's nothing I can do it's just annoying it just cries all the time and it doesn't want you yeah and that that's the part that actually is the hardest because it's like you know you're supposed to love me because I'm your father and it's like actually all you want is milk from boobies and I can't do that so yeah and it was about six months before I just had the realization myself but like stop being so self-centered you know what it wants and that you can't give it to it so just deal with it but yeah I wish someone had just said it to me first so I could have been more when my son wanted to do stuff I was like oh that's awesome actually my uh, my wife's cousin married a British guy I think I told you he's like mm. half French half British and he was uh, he was asking he's like so uh, he's like why uh, why don't your kids speak better English like not like in a weird way no. just in like a because he was having expecting a baby and I was like well my wife can speak English but it's not her native tongue and she's going to feel way more comfortable just dealing with the kids in her natural language yeah um, so yeah English where's the fucking helicopter it's over here where I'm yeah. um, and he was like oh well uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make and I'm like yeah but your wife doesn't even speak English at all no it's never going to work out and he was walking away going, I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it better. And I'm just like, mm, good luck. I, was like, I mean, that's luck. literally you have to do nothing else. Yeah. Like you need to be the stay at home parent. Like that's the only way it's going to happen. Yeah. Cause my, my wife was like, you know, I can't read very well. I was like, but he speaks awesome and he's yeah. going to learn how to read in school. So I'm not going to reading speak. is easy. Comparatively speaking, that's all they do. Yeah. So I actually never bothered teaching them anything about reading or writing. Yeah, mine's just more incidental teaching. Like when she's like, "Oh, how do I do this?" Or yeah, yeah. Like I'm not gonna. 
waste time when yeah, the Japanese school system is going to push it down their throats anyway. To the point where they hate it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually read this article yet, but I'm very interested in it. I am not a fan of academia. I did a lot of time in university. I did a lot of time in school. I didn't find it particularly beneficial. I have sort of ranted on this in the past, so I don't want to get too much into it now. Uh, I won't be able to find the episodes where I do rant about academics and academia and how it actually kills creativity, but it is out there. It's in one of the old episodes. It's because uh, I you don't care. I had all those episodes I took down. I had to re-upload, but they're all just numbers, not actually uh, episode titles. And I didn't have an Excel sheet back then, so I don't, I don't know where it is. I, some After Podcast shuts down, I plan on listening to each of the old episodes and then in the new C. McBee, maybe redoing some of those topics, hopefully better. So it won't be every week. It'd be like once a month I take an old Podcast and maybe redo it and hopefully redo it better for a newer audience. So sometimes you might be like, hey, I think I know this, but I must repeat myself. We're like talking like episode 270 of Podcast, maybe 280 something. I forget what number we're at right now, but it's huge. So I must have said the same thing multiple times, I'm sure. Uh, if you've listened to every single episode, you do have a very good sense of my sensibilities. Plantier co-founder starts anti-woke university with clown carve intellectual dark web dweebs. This is uh, already a very biased title, so I wouldn't call this like a legitimate news source or a legitimate article. I don't know who the Plantier co-founder is, but the anti-woke university, this, this right-wing stuff in America, it's going a bit far. So far, the University of Austin's accreditations consist solely of gathering a group of the nation's loudest contrarians. Uh, I think, actually, this title, Clown Car of Intellectual Dark Web Dweebs, you could actually say that in a less biased way and I think would have more impact. I actually would. You're actually just demonstrating your bias, but whatever. Uh... And other stuff shirts is launching their own university, a bid to challenge the supposedly woke ad- academic status quo, courtesy of the funding from the obscure libertarian nonprofit linked to Plantier co-founder Joe Lonsdale. The University of Austin, or UATX, which is absolutely not to be confused with the University of Texas at Austin, a real school, aims to offer forbidden courses, that's actually very exciting, that will spark students to ask provocative questions that often lead to censorship or self-censorship in many universities. It boasts a bevy of headache-inducing personalities on its way. Again, take out that bit and keep to the facts, and actually this speaks for itself. This person, uh, who is it? Tom McKay, is trying to be funny. He's trying to be funny when he shouldn't be. This is funnier if you just tell it factually. And then maybe make a joke after. It has a board of advisors, which consists largely of the type of people who have branded themselves as the last defenders of liberalism against the tide of woke liberals, which is confusing. So they're right wing saying that they're liberals. Oh, defenders, defenders of liberalism. So I guess true liberalism is conservative ideals. These personalities, which I'm not going to know any of these. Again, I've been living in Japan too long. Barry Weiss, or Weiss, a former New York Times opinion editor, 
uh, and her professional energy yelping about left-wing Twitter mobs. A British historian, Niall Ferguson, who left Stanford after leaked emails showed him encouraging campus Republicans to do opposition research on left-wing students. So basically trying to like dig dirt on people. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers has tried to make the wokeness of central bankers a culture war issue. Amateur race scientist and self-declared ethnic penis size expert Andrew Sullivan. Like, again, he's not putting these jokes in. That's actually enough. The fact that he has done race science and talks about penis size actually is, it's inherently funny. Scorched earth culture warrior Shorab Amari and cognitive psychologist Steven Pinker, an identity politics alarmist who is popular with the neoliberal crowd. One of its founding faculty fellows is Ayan Hirsi Ali, a Hoover Institution scholar who believes Islam is inherently violent and has more recently begun parroting the line that wokeism is just like white supremacy. Seems like an interesting cavalcade of people, though. So academic freedom is being derailed by leftists. Alongside them will be fellow traveler and venture capitalist Lonsdale, one of tech billionaires known for complaining about the supposedly stifling political culture of Silicon Valley. UATX, which is of right now, is not accredited in anything but giving people aneurysms. Ha ha! Yeah, just don't. Just, just facts, buddy. It says on a website, it is fiscally sponsored by Cicero Research, or Cicero. Uh, which is affiliated with Lonsdale's Libertarian Cicero Institute. Lonsdale is best known for partnering with right-wing venture capitalist Peter Thiel to found Palantir, the big data analysis firm infamous for courting contracts with federal immigration agencies and the military. Uh, Thiel bankrolled a lawsuit that bankrupted Gizmodo's former parent company, Gawker Media. That's, I remember that. That's the Hulk Hogan thing. So Hulk Hogan had a sex tape Gizmodo, I think, one of the... Uh, Gawker Media had a website and they posted it or they talked about it and he sued them for defamation and this guy bankrolled it. Well, it's, it's good that they put that in there. They moved to Austin from San Francisco last year, citing the location is conveniently closer to companies he backs across country and a way to escape California tax rates. Texas has no income tax. I'd be very interested in that. UATX does not yet offer degrees, but is seeking accreditation from Texas Higher Education Board and initial accreditation through the Higher Learning Commission to offer master's degrees in the fall of 2022 and undergraduate degrees in 2024. Uh, Why did they choose Austin? If it's good enough for Elon Musk and Joe Rogan, it's good enough for us. That is a terrible reason. Although it is, this part is true. The city is experiencing a historic boom in talent and capital. Capital is true. I don't know about talent. But I guess you can't say Joe Rogan and Elon Musk are not talented because they've been successful for a reason. Maybe you don't like them. That's different. It's different. Not liking someone and them being talented are separate, and that's hard for us to separate. But it makes it interesting. Uh, how hard is it to set up a university? Because it sounds like if you're just rich, because Trump had a university. I think it's actually failed and gone away now. But, like, if that's all it takes, like, you have a ton of money, you open a university. I don't know how profit. I guess universities are profitable. They keep asking me, my old university keeps asking me for money. And I will never give it any. 
because I didn't enjoy my experience. That's actually something I think they need to take into account. I didn't value the experience of my university and therefore I will never give them any more money because I'm not getting anything back for it. It'll be interesting to look back on this and in a couple months and see what courses they offer because the focus, it seems, is political. Uh, so they're going to do political silences, but are they going to do like, because, you know, liberal colleges always have weird courses. Uh, again, if I pick one, someone's going to be offended because they probably studied it. But like they, and the joke is always basket weaving, but they have courses that you consider pointless. They're going to come up with the conservative version of basket weaving. For some reason, my mind immediately went to media studies. And so like promotion of uh, political media. I actually bet that would be a huge course for that. How to, how to set up your own news organization uh, to, and then like all the techniques they do and all the things they do to make it successful. It's scary. It's scary. I've actually said before, I don't think universities are valuable anymore that we should switch back to apprenticeships or something like that or like small groups. But Again, I haven't gone through the logistics. I don't know if that's even, you know, technically possible. But you have a group. Think about my first psychology class where there were like two or 300 people in, in the like uh, room and the teacher was up on the stage talking. I mean, I don't know if I learned anything. I don't, he, don't, he doesn't even know if I'm there. And I had to take, the thing that pissed me off the most I had to take a science. I signed, I, my first year was actually English literature and I had to take a science course. And it was because I was paying for university, it bugged me because why do I have to do something that I, like I have to take a, I took a, a geography. Why do I have to take this course that I don't want to take and pay for it? It seemed like it was a requirement. That seemed dumb and awful. And that's maybe the start of my feeling that higher education, for the most part, is dumb and awful. And I think maybe the big, big problem is, just like the companies in the first segment, they don't actually care about you or success. This is now a profitability thing. And they're trying to make their money. And that's actually not supposed to be the point of a university. Maybe that's what we need to figure out. What is the point of things? And then try to get people to do the point of the thing. And if they do that well, that's success. Hall. The loss of 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 podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube slash Podcast or streaming on twitch.tv slash chunkmcbeefjest. You can find Ninja News Japan on Facebook. Send questions or comments to speakpipe.com slash velocipodcast. Link in the description. Check out all the podcasts in the Velocipodcast family. See McBee, Ninja News Japan, and Daily Affirmations Weekly. While this podcast didn't seem to get to the point very well, there was a point in there, which is the point. The point being, to try and get to the point, which is kind of all of our points.
Let's point together to truth.